You're listening to Design Tomorrow. Over a century ago, at Oxford University, the administration decided to finally do something about the rotting beams supporting the roof of their dining hall. It was on the verge of collapsing. So, someone was dispatched to speak with Oxford's forester. It would be his job to provision lumber for repairs. Now I imagine him leaning against a big, knotted old tree, arms crossed, pipe clenched by stern jaw, all tweed-vested, and then retrieving his pocket watch in expectation of this meeting, just as the administrator blustered down the path toward him. Because, as it turns out, our forester had been waiting for this moment his entire life. Among the vast land and resources held by Oxford over which he quietly stewarded was an entire grove of oak trees planted by a forester long before him, 500 years before him, for this very purpose, so that they'd be fully mature in time for when the original beams had held their last. Now how's that for long-term planning? Progress is something we all try to work toward, but I often wonder about the scale. If progress isn't permanent, is it progress at all? Today, I want to talk about that question, because it seems so simple, too simple really, especially when we apply it to our own day-to-day, very short-term working timelines. What were we trying to do? Did we do it? If yes, then we've made progress. If no, then we didn't. But what about when we zoom out further? Perhaps years out, well beyond when we started and finished our thing, perhaps further out than we even imagined it, perhaps beyond our own lifetime. What then? You're listening to Design Tomorrow. I'm Chris Butler. Stay tuned. Design Tomorrow is a podcast about design, technology, and being human, which, admittedly, is a lot to be about. But in all things, we hope to grow in our awareness that what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Design Tomorrow. Just leave all the vowels out. That's at D-S-G-N. T-M-R-R-W You can also visit the show's website at designtomorrow.co and if you want to get in touch directly you can email me at chris at designtomorrow.co I'd love to hear from you and now let's get back to the show What is progress? 
have we made any? The first Oxford forester understood progress. Progress through deep time. But did those that came after him? Did our forester, he of the pipe and the tweed and the watch, did he plant another grove of oak for Oxford's forester of the 23rd century? History offers us an abundance of evidence that we, as a people, are not like the Oxford forester. That in fact, long-term planning of even decades length is rare. Planning for centuries ahead? Forget about it. Take, for example, Easter Island. Perhaps you've heard the story, too. In your mind right now, you probably see the heads, the buried stone effigies of the islanders' past, silently watching the shore from the hills overlooking the sea. As a child, I had the impression that Easter Island's collection of monuments was deeply ancient. Not so. Easter Island was settled just a few oak grove cycles prior to our forester's foreforester, around the year 500 AD, by migrants from nearby Pacific Islands. These migrants called their new home Rapa Nui. Over the next 500 years, this small group of migrants had blossomed into a large community of over 10,000 people. They were settled. They had agriculture, established villages, even homes with stone foundations. They had a complex social structure comprising elites, priests, and even peasants. Now, I share all this detail with you because knowing how established their society was makes what happened next all the more surprising. You see, rival clans emerged out of Rapa Nui's social structure, each creating the stone heads we know to honor their specific traced lineage. It became something of an arms race, let's call it a heads race, to construct the biggest, most grand monument. But constructing these heads was a pretty involved and costly project. You needed lots of people to pull volcanic rock out of the ground, and then you needed even more people to carve it. You needed lots of wood to build scaffolding around it so that the carvers could do their work. You needed even more wood to build the platforms, the ahu, that were needed at the base of the heads. You needed rope. Lots and lots of rope. So this heads race quickly stripped the small island of all of its timber. And to make matters worse, the Rapa Nuians had a significant rat infestation on their hands. Now you might be wondering... Where did these rats come from? Well, the tens of thousands of ravenous rats swarming the island had a small handful of rat ancestors who stowed away with the original Rapa Nui settlers. A Rapa Nuian forester had them to contend with. And they ate all the seeds that the Rapa Nuians could scatter and every young sapling they could get their little rat teeth around. Archaeologists mark the end of trees on Rapa Nui at around 1400 AD. Because when they look at the annual layers of the island's crater lakes, there's abruptly no pollen in them by this time. It's odd. Rapa Nui is a volcanic island, which means it's got some pretty steep terrain. Anyone from any of the rival clans could have easily stood atop one of the hills and seen the ever-barren land. 
They could have thought, just like Oxford's forester, I should plant some trees for the future. They could have had this idea right when they first arrived. But apparently, nobody did. Ronald Wright, author of A Short History of Progress, describes it rather ominously. He writes, quote, The people who felled the last tree could see that it was the last, could know with complete certainty that there would never be another. And they felled it anyway. End quote. An island with no trees is a dead zone. No shade, no wood supply for homes, for tools, for fuel, for boats. No boats, no fishing. No fishing, no food. Wood, wood that had already been cut and harvested before that last tree became gold. The rival clans warred over it. And meanwhile, starving, they ate their dogs. And you know what? They still carved their heads. Some of the last heads never stood upright because there was no wood for support and scaffolding. By the time Captain Cook arrived, less than a century before our triumphant tweeted forester, by the way, the population had shrunk to around a thousand people living in caves. Wright again gets straight to the point. He wrote, quote, The people had been seduced by a kind of progress that became a mania, an ideological pathology, as some anthropologists call it. End quote. Boy, does that sound familiar. Wright goes on to define a concept he calls a progress trap. Progress traps, that was a term I coined to, um, to look at things that begin as very successful and seductive uh, inventions, discoveries that seem to be beneficial, but which can lead, when they reach a certain um, scale uh, or a certain intensity, can lead to a catastrophic end. Give me an uh, example. To, I'll give you a couple of when the form of progress elevated and pursued by a people actually cuts them off from the future. We could just call that myopia, and there's plenty of that to go around right now, isn't there? Our own form of elevated progress given to us by Moore's Law and the resulting arms race to build the most distracting pocket computer is one we are intentionally shielded from properly understanding. We don't see the expeditions to gather rare earth minerals. We don't see the factories. We don't live in them, like some people do. We don't die in them, like some people do. We don't see the burning fields of electronic waste in Africa. And sure, we've seen the pictures, but that's not enough. We don't live those realities. Our island is the whole earth. And we are stripping it bare, just as the Rapanuians did. I imagine those final islanders, starving, sunburnt, and still maniacally carving those heads. And then I imagine us, starved of focus and attention, divided into warring clans, our hatred and mistrust stoked by misleading algorithms, and yet still cradling our devices in our beds while the world burns. And yet... So many would say we're at the pinnacle of progress. Are we now? Human progress defined materially and by what we accept in citations as quote-unquote history has been short and straight. 
We've gone from hunting and gathering to farming and refrigeration in pretty short order. And thanks to the freedom we've achieved from tilling the land by hand, we can sit in chairs and stare at screens all day. But human progress, as evidenced by the fits and starts of humanity, the giant leaps forward and back, may not really exist. With the nuclear Armageddon clock closer to midnight than ever before, and really, this is just a form of pessimistic data viz, but hey, it works. The most giant leap backward we could ever know is seeming much more possible. Surely we wouldn't let this happen, right? Well, when I examine our culture for progress traps, I suddenly feel stranded in a vast minefield of them, where any step in any direction is sure to land me in trouble. They're less traps and more like bombs, surprises waiting to blow up in our faces. It's a negative view, I know, but is it really that unrealistic? What we need now are not just people who think like our foresters for forester. And we need them, we do. But we also need technicians who know how to dismantle our progress bombs, who know which cords to cut and when to cut them. Which one are you? Are you a forester, planting seeds for a distant tomorrow? Or are you on the bomb squad, ready to dismantle and disable the things that threaten that tomorrow? Either way, let's get together. Let's unplug and let's start building a world where progress is defined by the future's ability to exist. Well, friends, that's it for today. And by the way, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. It was exciting to release this podcast last year, and even more so to watch as you all joined in. With each episode, and there were eight between last August and December, our little community grew, and that happened entirely thanks to you. I've ended each episode so far with the hope that you've enjoyed it, We'll come back next time for more, and at some point we'll leave a rating or review in iTunes, but mostly that you'll tell a friend, human to human, that there's this new podcast you're listening to, and it makes you think, and that maybe they should give it a try too. You can email me any feedback you have at chris at designtomorrow.co, or you can tweet me at designtomorrow, that's at D-S-G-N-T-M-R-R-W. Thanks for listening, and remember... What we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. I'll see you then.